In John chapter 14, verse 3, Jesus said, I will come again. Today, we're going to talk about the glorious return of Christ. That is when the sky parts and Jesus comes through in all of his glory and all that entails it, all that is involved with it. The Bible is basically laid out in chronological order. Not every verse is in chronological order, not every chapter and not every book, but basically you have in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then you have the, everything being wrapped up in the book of Revelation. And it's basically chronological. And we see that there are two events, let's call it three events that happen at the very end of the age. There is the destruction of the heavens and the earth and the new heaven and the new earth. Before that, there is a thousand year millennium period where God fulfills all of his promises he made to Israel. And basically there's a thousand year reign of Christ where the earth is exactly what God meant it to be before Adam and Eve messed it up. God had planned it to be that way. Adam and Eve messed it up. It had to be restored. And then before the millennium, Jesus returns. Before that, there's a great tribulation period, seven years that things are just awful and horrible for those seven years. And before that is the rapture of the church. And before that is the church age. And before that is his resurrection. Just to keep you up to date on what's happening <laughs> through the, all the way up until the end of the, the book. But let me give you a few verses that talk about the return of Jesus, just so we get some pictures and ideas of what's happening when he returns. So this is Matthew 24, 27. Jesus speaking, for as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. He, literally by saying that, he's saying, when you see lightning that goes from the east to the west, you don't even have to say to the person that's with you, did you see that? Because you know they did. Now you might say it, did you see that? Wow, can you believe that? But when there's that kind of lightning, everybody sees it. The first thing we learn about the return of Jesus, it's not secret, it's not private, everybody's going to see it, everyone's going to know it. And this is really important because there are people that say he came back in 70 AD privately. Jesus said, when they say I came back in the inner chamber, don't believe them, so don't believe them. There's people that say that he came back in 1914 privately, don't believe it. When Jesus comes back, you're not going to be at work the next day and they're going to go, did you hear? Jesus came back. That's not going to happen. Everyone's going to know. The second thing we find is in Matthew 24, 30. It says the sign, then the sign of the son of man will appear in the heavens. And then all the people of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and glory. There's a lot in that little verse. First of all, what is the sign of the son of man? There's a lot of suggestions and people suggest things and sometimes I wonder why they suggest it. It's okay to go, huh, I wonder what the sign's gonna be. I guess we'll know when we see it. Some say it's the star that led the wise men to Jesus when he was a child. Some say that because Jesus is only gonna come back to Jerusalem, that only if you're in Jerusalem, you'll see him. So the rest of the world has to have the sign of the coming of the Son of Man and you'll know it when you see it. I don't know, there will be a sign. Uh, of, uh, of the coming of the Son of Man. And then it says, and the tribes of the earth will mourn. That's because the people that remain on the earth at this point are people that are in rebellion against God. They are the people that have taken the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, because they weren't able to buy or sell without it. The people that rejected the mark 
were either died of starvation or were killed because they didn't give their allegiance to the Antichrist. So the people that are left are in rebellion, except for Israel, the nation of Israel, which has fled into the wilderness and is being protected by God. And so the nations of the earth will mourn when they see him. The day has come. It's the end for them. And all the things that the Bible has been talking about coming to pass have come to pass before their eyes. And so they mourn. And that's not the last time we'll read that they mourn. And um, then they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. So the sign comes first. <clears throat> then the Son of Man comes on the clouds. Now, again, what are these clouds? A lot of people have ideas. It's literal clouds. It's people. It's angels. In Hebrews 12, it says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Hebrews 12, 1. So those witnesses, they are actually people. So they say he's coming on the clouds. He's going to come with us, with people. He's going to come with angels. That's going to be the clouds. The angel, when Jesus was taken up into heaven, we're going to read that in a moment, said this same Jesus that left on the clouds is going to come back in the same way. That would make us think it's more literal clouds. Here, here's what I think when we read about the clouds of heaven. I think that we just get too much thinking. I, I think that when we want to break down everything. Jesus is coming on the clouds. And when it happens, we're going to go look at his people or look at his literal clouds. He will come on the clouds. It goes on to say, with great power and glory. And this is the important part of this verse. As lightning flashes from the east to west, everyone's going to know it. And he's going to show up with great power and glory. We're going to see him as he is. It's no longer Jesus as he came the first time as a child. He laid his glory aside. But now we see him in all of his power and all of his glory. It said that when we see Jesus in all of his glory, that we will tremble. We will wonder why we ever said anything we ever said to him because he is so much more magnificent, so much more awesome than we could ever begin to imagine. Revelation 1, 7 says, Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. So now we know that not only is it going to be visible for everybody, but everyone's going to see him. How does that work when, when Jesus returns to Jerusalem and somebody on the other side of the world sees him? I don't know. I'm going to say something supernatural. How exactly God does it supernaturally, I don't know. Remember, the return of Christ itself is supernatural. Natural would mean you're following the, the natural order of laws that are around the earth. There are a number of them. So when God does a miracle, he breaks one of those natural laws. I'm going to say the return of Jesus on the clouds is a supernatural event. And so the, the, the laws of nature don't apply. So every eye will see him. That's what it says. Even those who pierced him. So now we're talking about those who have died and are in a holding place awaiting judgment and they're going to see him. So God has every person on earth see him return and even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen, or even so, so be it. So once again, comes in the clouds, there's going to be mourning, but every eye is going to see him. Now, this event is not Jesus coming back for his church. That's called the rapture of the church, clearly taught in the Bible. Every once in a while, I run into someone who tells me there is no rapture. Now, when they tell me this, my answer to them is, then please explain 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
where it says we're not all going to, I'm going to tell you a mystery, Paul said, we're not all going to die, but some are going to be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. This corruptible is going to put on incorruptible, this mortal is going to put on immortality. So some people who are still alive are going to go through the resurrection without dying. And then in 1 Thessalonians it says, and those who are in, dead in Christ will rise first, and then when we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Now, it's strange, I know. It's like people will say, you really believe that all you Christians are going to fly out of here? That's what you really believe? And I'm like, yes, as strange as that sounds, and I do know it sounds strange, I do believe that. But remember, there are so many other strange things that are happening during this time. And the Bible clearly talks about it. So when someone writes a comment, right now I answer the comments on YouTube. And when someone puts a comment down on a video, I talked about the rapture and they go, there is no rapture. I always wanted to put more. Tell me why you think there's no rapture. I would like to know. What is your argument? What do you do with these verses? And so my response to them is always, yes, there is. Because <laughs> if they're not going to give anything to back up why they think there is no rapture, you believe in a rapture as a Christian who, is, who believes in the Bible, you believe in the rapture. What you don't believe is, is the same thing as me, is maybe when it's going to happen. You might believe it's before the not before the tribulation, but during the tribulation, after the tribulation, two-thirds of the way through the tribulation. And that's really minor when you think about it. We believe everything else the same, including the virgin birth, the, 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 the death of Christ on the cross for our sins, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and that he will return one day. But we have the rapture happening, three and a half or seven years different, and we're like, you're a heretic. It's like... Maybe you're just a little heavy handed with that. Maybe we ought not to. Maybe this is an in-house discussion. We don't have to believe everything the same, right? We can, we're going to have differences of opinion. I like to say, if you and I believe everything the same, 100% the same, then one of us isn't thinking. And I know I'm thinking. So that's kind of where that stands. It means there's going to be times that I'm teaching and you go, I don't know if I think that's right. And that's okay, because there's going to be times when I'm wrong. The Bible says, if a man doesn't stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. And you could talk to my kids, you could talk to my wife to see whether or not I'm perfect. And there will be mistakes that will be made. And so that is okay. Now, before we get into our text, I want to read the same text in Matthew, because Matthew gives us a timestamp as to when it is going to happen. Luke doesn't. Luke is talking about the end of the world. It's talking about the same time frame. In Luke, it talks about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And in Matthew, it talks about the abomination of desolation, the tribulation period. But they're both in the same event and they just give us the different time, the, the different statements that were made on the same event on the Olivet Discourse. But in Matthew 24, he tells us when these things are going to happen. So I want to read that first. So it says in Matthew 24, 29 and 30, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the heavens. So the point that I want to point out there is as says immediately after the tribulation of those days. This is the tribulation period. Jesus said there's a time coming that's worse than anything this world will ever see and anything that it has ever seen. It's a time we don't want to be here for. It's a time of God's wrath, a time of God's indignation. It's a time when God will judge the world for everything that's been done in the world. 
And that's what the Bible says. And I, I find it interesting that some people are angry at God for judging the world. And then some people go, how can God allow things like the Holocaust? How could God allow the evil that people do every night in the world? Because God's long-suffering. Because God is patient. But don't confuse long-suffering and patience with never judging. Long-suffering and patient means that God waits as long as he can for more people to take advantage of the salvation that has been offered and then he will bring his judgment upon this earth. This is one of the reasons I believe that we as a church will not be here. Number one, we are his bride. He will come and take his bride out before his wrath comes. He's not gonna leave us on the earth to face the wrath of God. And some people say, well, the church isn't gonna face the wrath of God. God's gonna supernaturally protect them, but they're gonna face the wrath of the world in those days. And so Jesus is just gonna leave his bride behind and get beat up by the world. Instead of, as the Bible says, we will be, be, be saved from the wrath that is to come. And we have that in Romans 5, 9 and 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. Also, Jesus said, you don't know when I'm coming back, so be ready. The only position is that this happens before the tribulation that you don't know when he's coming back, so be ready. If it's in the middle, we're gonna look at events and go, it's here. If it's at the end, we're gonna look at events and go, it's here. It's only before that makes that stance. Now, this tribulation period is a horrible three and a half years, followed by even a worse three and a half years. There are 21 judgments. There are seal judgments. When you say seal, it's not, or, or, or not that kind of a seal, but it's a seal that is torn, a seal that's on a letter that's torn. So it's a scroll. And when the seals are torn, there's the white horse, which is the Antichrist that comes forward. The next seal is torn. I think it's the black horse that comes out. The next seal is torn. It's the red horse. The next seal is the pale horse. And these, are, these all represent things that start to happen during the tribulation period. Then there's the trumpet judgments that follow that. And they're worse than the seal judgments. And then there's the bowl judgments, like a bowl that an angel brings forward and pours out on the earth. And these are the worst of all the judgments. As it goes through the tribulation period, that time gets worse. And at the end of that tribulation period, when it's like the world can't take anymore, Jesus Christ returns. In fact, the Bible says, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would remain on the earth. Meaning he waits until the very last moment. Now, people have a couple different ideas of what that means. Some believe that the sun, our sun, is going through a supernova. Meaning that when, it, when a supernova happens, it gets brighter and hotter, and then it dies and goes out. This takes a, a period of years for it to happen. So some believe that when Revelation says the earth is being scorched, that that supernova is getting hotter and it scorches the earth during the tribulation period. And right when Jesus comes back is when the sun goes out and no flesh would remain on the earth because this, you can't live for how long? I don't think you can live for two days. I think the earth will get too cold. When the sun goes out, that's it. So Jesus comes back at that moment, the sun goes out when earth can't be on the earth, uh, when, when um, life can't be supported on the earth. Other people believe it's war because another thing that's happening when Jesus returns is the battle of Armageddon. The Euphrates River has dried up. And by the way, you can look this up right now. The Euphrates River is drying up even as we speak. You can take out your phone and do a search. Is the Euphrates River drying up? And look at pictures of people standing in the middle of the Euphrates River with some little trickle going on behind it. 
And the Bible says the Euphrates River will dry up and a 200 million man army will come across it. It seems, I'm not saying this for sure, it seems like that could only be China because they are the only ones that have an army large enough to have 200 million men in it. They go across the Euphrates River into the Valley of Jehoshaphat, which is by the mountain of Megiddo, and that is the Battle of Armageddon. And here's the thing about war in our day. If we go to war, if the United States goes to war against China or the United States go to war against Russia, there's a good chance that no flesh will remain on the earth. War has advanced since World War II. The weapons that we have now are so much more powerful that the argument is made that we could literally wipe out humans on the earth. And so perhaps at the Battle of Armageddon, there's such a battle between these superpowers that the earth will not be able to support life, that man will be destroyed. And so unless those days were shortened, no flesh would remain, could mean either one of those things. Or it could mean something else, by the way. I just gave you a couple of things people think. I, I'm, I'm always skeptical. I'm not skeptical. I'm, I'm more of a skeptical person. But when I hear things like that, I just go, well, that's interesting. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But that's interesting. So I share them with you. All right. So um, in Matthew 24, 21, it says, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. So it's after that great tribulation that Jesus returns to the earth. His return will destroy the Antichrist. He is destroyed when Jesus returns in all of his power and all of his glory. He will come and put a stop to the battle of Armageddon. That's the Valley of Jehoshaphat is in Jerusalem. Jesus returns to the, to the Temple Mount. That's where he actually returns to. Now, when Jesus comes back has to do it relates to the millennium. And here we're going to get into the theological section. So if you're ready to take your nap, you just need to close your eyes for a few minutes. Go ahead and do that now. We'll get through this, this millennium section and then we'll get back into some other stuff. But what you believe about the end times is either amillennialism or premillennialism. There is also postmillennialism, but that is just a variant of amillennialism. So I'll talk about all three, but I want to give you a basic breakdown of both of these. And the reason I want to give it to you is because it has to do when Jesus will return. So first of all, there is premillennialism. By far, most Christians are premillennial because we see that the, 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 the prophecies in the Old Testament, the ones that have been told us before, even the ones Jesus gave us, were fulfilled literally. So when we look at Revelation, we have a tendency to look at them literally. Why would God change it from here on out when we see Israel become a nation just like God prophesied it? We see Jerusalem under Israeli control just like God prophesied it. That's in 1967 and 1948. And then why right now would God change it and do something different with prophecies in the future? So I think I have a biblical reason to believe it is going to be fulfilled literally. So when the Bible says there is a thousand year reign of Christ, and he will rule over the earth. And that's where it says the, the lamb will lay down with the wolf and it talks about all of the things, the child who plays with the cobra, all of those things happening during that millennium period when the earth is restored to what Adam and Eve were supposed to have. And God's fulfilling his promises to Israel and rules the nation of Israel from Jerusalem and we rule and reign with him. Now, the rapture will happen before that. There's some question among Christians as to whether or not it's before the tribulation or after it. 
But that's such a small detail. There's no reason to really fight about it. Believe what you want to believe. And that's okay. I believe it's before the tribulation period because I don't believe we'll be here. We've, we've been promised that we will be kept from the hour of trial that's going to come upon the whole earth. Revelation 3.10. I'm not trying to give a defense for the rapture. I'll do that at another point. Um, I just seem to keep coming back to it no matter what. Um, and so then Jesus will come back to this earth, establish his kingdom and reign, rule and reign for a thousand years. The Satan will be bound and then he will be loosed he will be captured and thrown to the lake of fire. I'm giving you the basic breakdown of the book of Revelation now. So that's what we believe. That's what I believe. That's what Calvary Tucson believes. It's what Calvary Chapel in general believes. It's what most Baptist churches believe. It's what most non-denominational churches believe. That's premillennialism. Then there's all millennial. And all millennial is believed by Catholics. It's believed by Eastern Orthodox churches. It's believed by uh Presbyterian churches who are reformed, they believe in amillennialism. And I don't want to, I don't want to paint a straw man. I don't want to make it look really weird. I want to give it to it as they would present it. And then I just want to share a couple of problems that I would have with it and why I'm not amillennial. So they believe that the book of Revelation is not a future book at all. They believe that the things that are happening within the book of Revelation have happened since the resurrection of Christ and when he returns. They believe he's going to return just as we're talking about. But they believe that when you see the earth scorched, it's a sign of when the earth gets scorched throughout all of the church history. They believe when the Antichrist comes and forces people to take a marker to buy or sell, that that is a type of the Antichrist being unveiled and revealed throughout church history. So to them, the thousand years is a sign of, or is a metaphor, it's a better word, a metaphor for the church age in which the millennium is happening. They believe we are in the millennium right now. And all of the things that happen in the book of Revelation are a type of all the things that, that the church endures during the millennium, which is the church age. That's all millennialism. Now, an, an atheist, a theist believes in God, an atheist doesn't. So you might think that all millennialism because it's got the A in front of it means no millennium. It's not true. They believe the millennium is happening right now. And there are a lot of people who believe it. And in church history, there were more people who believed it than a premillennium. The pe people did believe premillennium, but Israel wasn't a nation. And so a lot of people were like trying to put things together. How are these things going to happen? Well, God's going to fulfill his promises to the church, to Israel through the church. Because there's a lot of promises God made to Israel that weren't fulfilled. One of them was becoming a nation again. One of them was returning to Jerusalem. And so they said the church is going to do this. So that's basic all millennialism. Now, my problem with it, as I said, I don't want to build a straw man and tear it down. But my problem with it is that in the millennium, Satan is bound. And there's peace on earth for a thousand years. It says that about the millennium period. This doesn't look like peace to me. And if Satan is bound, he's on a long chain. So I just, and I think that they believed that based on what they saw. They were looking at the world around them. Israel wasn't a nation. And so they said something else has to be done with these promises to Israel. So here's what needs to be done. And I always think it's a problem to build your theology based on what you see. I'll give you a quick example of that. When I was in my, well, when I was a teenager uh, in eschatology, the study of the last days, 
many believe that the European economic community was the final Roman uh, clay and uh, iron of clay and toes, right? The feet of the statue. The revived Roman Empire was the European economic community. And that a Roman leader was going to come out of that who was going to be the Antichrist. And when I was a teenager, there was five or six people that had formed the European economic community. Then there were seven. Then there were eight. Then there was nine. Remember, it has ten toes. Or there's ten nations. There's the, this final world power is broken into ten sections. And so then there was nine. And then there was ten. And everybody, everybody was saying, this is the final revived Roman Empire. And its headquarters is in, is, was in, in Rome. And so people were going, this is it. This is it. And then there were 11. And then there were 12. And then there were 13. But there's a, there's a section in Daniel and Revelation that talks about three of the horns being taken over by one of the horns. One of the horns grows great, takes over three of the horns and wipes them out. So now you're back to 10. So when we were at 13, people were going, well, the one horn's going to rise up, take out the other three, we're going to be back to 10. Then there was 14. Then there was 15, then there was 16, then there was 17. I don't know what there is today, 28, 29. Uh, uh, you, the UK dropped out of it. Other nations are joining it. It's not the revived Roman Empire. And that's the danger of looking at the world as it is and trying to fit prophecy into it. It's better to let it unfold and then go, look, the Bible said that God was going to restore the nation of Israel and they're a nation again. And never in the history of mankind has a people of a land ever been taken from their land, removed from their land, and then became that same people in the same land. And the Bible foretold that it would happen. That's powerful. But if you're trying to figure it out while it's happening, you're probably going to make some mistakes. Better to just go, let's let God figure this out. All right, well, let's take a quick look at our text. So that was our introduction. <laughs> a little long. It really wasn't. We were, we were making some points there. So in verse 25 of Luke 21, it says, and there will be a signs in the sun, the moon and the stars. Now, I read Matthew 24 that said after the tribulation of those days, there will be signs in the sun, the moon and the stars. We don't know what these signs will be. Amos, uh, Joel, Revelation, talk about the sun being darkened, the moon being darkened and the stars falling from the sky. So maybe that's what it is. But we don't know if this is literal. Do we think the sun's literally going to go out? People who believe in the supernova believe that. But do we think it's literally going to go out? There could be a lot of ways the, moon could be, the sun and the moon could be darkened. It could happen by a volcano. It could happen by locusts. It could happen by, it could happen by some other event that just causes the sun to be darkened. So the sun being darkened doesn't mean the sun necessarily needs to go out. It could be. But th this is just a statement that the sun, the moon, and the stars are, that there's going to be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. This is, this is the very last days. This isn't now. This is the very last days. And on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. Perplexity is hopelessness. These are the nations that have taken the mark of the beast that have rejected God. And when the sun and the moon and the stars start to show signs that they're perplexed, they're hopeless, the seas and the waves roaring. So now not only the sun and the moon and the stars are showing signs, but the seas have this roaring. You can imagine why, that verse 26, men's hearts failing them for fear of the expectation of those things which are to come upon the earth and the power of the heavens being shaken. That's not just an earthquake, that's a heavenquake. 
You, it's one thing if the earth were to shake and you were to think this earth is about to be done, but imagine if somehow the stars were shaking. If somehow you notice something's happening in our universe, if this is a universal thing. This is why I can't believe in preterism that all of these things were fulfilled in 70 AD. That's preterism. It's another es um, eschatology position. Be and they say, well, from Jerusalem, it looked like that the stars and the moon and all these things were happening. But this is global. It's universal. It wasn't a little a localized event. I'm not saying the destruction of Jerusalem was insignificant. It was foretold. I'm just saying that's not that wasn't what what Revelation was talking about. When it says men's heart will hearts will fail them of the expectations of the things which will come upon the earth. Do you know that in natural disasters like a tsunami or an earthquake, a major earthquake, that many people die from heart attacks, that it's things don't fall on them or they don't get drowned in the water. It's just the fear of what's happening is so overwhelming that people actually have heart attacks. And the Bible says this in verse 27, it says, then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So this is Jesus talking in Matthew 25, 31. It says, when the son of man comes in his glory, all the holy angels will be with him and he will sit on the throne of his glory. So when Jesus returns, now we learn not only will every eye see him, but his holy angels are going to be with him. And this is where some people say, well, those are the clouds. The holy angels are the clouds that Jesus comes back with. Again, I don't know. Maybe Colossians 3, 4 says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Because we have been raptured, caught up in the air to be with him. When he returns, we will be with him. Not only will the holy angels be with them when he returns, but we as the church, the church of all time, from the first person to get saved until the last, we will be with him when he returns. What a moment. And Luke, 11, um, Luke 18, 11 says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. When Jesus returns, there is vengeance that takes place with the people that remain that have rebelled against him. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, Will he really find faith on the earth? This means there's going to be very, very rare, very, very rare faith. The nation of Israel, which even today is, is a small group of people. I, I haven't looked at the numbers of how many Jewish people there are on the earth. But last time I checked, it was around 20 million, which is a very small number compared to the 7 billion people that are on the face of the earth. And Israel will be uh, serving God during the tribulation period. Now, um, Verse 29 gives us this kind of cryptic statement. Then he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourself that summer is near. Now, some say that the fig tree represents Israel. And it's going to go on to say this generation will not pass away. And so people began to read this in 1948. Israel became a nation. And then they came up with the idea that a biblical generation is 40 years. So you go from 48 to 88, you subtract seven years for the rapture of the church and now you're at 81. People thought Jesus was coming back in 81. It didn't happen, so they pushed it to 89. And then that didn't happen. So they said, maybe it's not when Israel became a nation in 1948. Maybe it's when Israel came under, Jerusalem came under Israeli control in 67. So you add 40 years to that, you come to 2007, you subtract seven years, you've got the year 2000. And do you remember all the Y2K stuff happening in 2000? Plus, everybody believing Jesus is coming back because it was 40 years after Israel, after Jerusalem became under Israeli control. 
And he came and went and didn't happen. So now people say, well, a biblical generation isn't 40 years, it's 70 years. So you've got to add 70 years to 48, and I'm not even going to do the math. Or you've got to add 70 years to 67, and I'm not going to do the math. And now there are people who are saying, well, the Bible says that the longest anyone's going to live is 120 years. So you've got to add 120 years to 1948. And you're going to come to 2068 being the last day Jesus could come back. I go over all of that stuff to say, stay away from that. Don't get caught up in the sensationalism. There are people saying Jesus is coming back this September during the Feast of Trumpets because it's a two-day event. No man's going to know the day or the hour, but you can know the two-day event. And Jesus is coming back in those two days. It's happening right now. You can go look up the prophecies if you want to. Prophecies of Jesus returning this year in the Feast of Trumpets. Don't listen to it. Don't follow those prophecies. We're about, it's about to get crazy. This whole sensational prophetic aspect because we're coming up to 2,000 years since Jesus was crucified in 32, 2032. will be about 2,000 years. You subtract seven years from that and you've got 25. And so there are already people saying that Jesus is coming back in 2025 because it's a good run number. To God, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. Jesus is coming back in two days. That's 2,000 years. Get ready. Jesus is coming back in 2025. <laughs> Stay away from all of that. It's enough for us to know the world is showing us signs that we're at the end. We know that Israel would be a nation again in the latter days. That's what, in the latter years, that's what it says. It says Israel would be a nation again in the latter years. We also know that Gog and Magog, the war of Gog and Magog will happen in the latter days. Those, that hasn't happened yet. So we are in the latter years. That's enough for us to know. So because of that, we should be serious. Let me close with three things. Because we know we're near the end, the world around us looks like what the Bible says the last days will look like. We don't know exactly what that day is and stay away from the sensationalism. But we do know, we don't know when these things will be, so stay ready. If, if somehow today you don't have things right between you and God, if something is sin has come in between you and God and you, you need to make it right, then make it right. If you've got some sin that you've decided that you're gonna do and you're living it out, repent from that, Make things right with God. Listen, it's going to be far better for you in the long run if you have things right with God anyway. I, I'm, I'm even talking about the way you're living now because the thing that you've decided to do is not going to be satisfying. It's not going to fulfill you. It's a deception. It's an illusion. It is empty anyway. The only real fulfillment is to keep short accounts with God. When you blow it, when you sin, then you just make things right right away. And you ask for help. Deliver me from the evil one. Don't lead us into temptation. We're taught to pray daily in the Lord's Prayer. So we ask for help regularly and we keep things right. So, so make things right. Get ready. So that if Jesus does come back today, then you are ready. You know, the Bible talks about some who will be shamed when he comes back. I don't believe, I think genuine Christians are all going to go up into heaven. But some are going to be ashamed because they haven't had things right with Christ. Second, we don't know when these things will be, so shine for Christ. God desires all to be saved and all to come to the knowledge of the truth. Then look for opportunities to plant seeds and to water seeds. Look for God to open up doors. Jesus didn't, didn't minister to everybody he met. And if we try to minister to everybody we meet, it's going to be ineffective. So we look to be led by the Holy Spirit coming upon us to be witnesses. And when doors open, we share. 
So just plant seeds, just water, let people know you're a Christian, let them know what you live for, and doors will open up. Step through those doors, plant those seeds, water those seeds, and God will add to the kingdom those who are being saved. And finally, we don't know when these things will be, so pray for those around you. Prayer is very powerful, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. When you are right with God, you are righteous, and then you are fervent in your prayers, it's effective. And so now you pray for the people around you because your prayers make a difference. Prayer changes destinies. Jesus said, I will build my church on this rock and I give them the keys to the kingdom. You and I let people in. We know how to let people into heaven. And the gates of hell will not prevail against you. That means we will be successful. It doesn't mean every person is going to get saved, but it means we're going to snatch people from hell. We are going to be successful in what God has called us to do. That's why we're given these things. That's why we're given the signs of the times so we can go, the Bible talks about the last days looking like this and it looks an awful lot like it does now. There are things that it doesn't. There are certain things that need to be revealed yet. And this is why this whole sensationalism needs to be put away. And I pointed them out as time has gone on, some of the things we don't see. We don't see signs in the sun, the moon and the stars. The Bible talks about that happening in a couple of different ways. We don't really see that yet. Some think they have it, but they won't really see it. So be ready, stay ready, shine for Christ and pray for the people around you. And more so as we see the day approaching, the Bible says, do those things even more. The more we see those day, the days approaching and can't imagine that time would go on. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you that you've given us this passage that helps us to really understand the return of Jesus, that every eye will see him. Lord, and may we know these things that are said so we don't fall into the false teachings of those that want to deny the return of Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand this. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.